High School Slumber Party is brought to you by the Cage Club Podcast Network. For all things Cage Club related, head on over to cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me. Welcome, wannabe burglars, diner waitresses, sandwich makers, oh, and an extra special shout out to all you high school dropouts out there. This is High School Slumber Party, the podcast where me and some friends look back at our teenage years through the lens of some iconic high school-centric films. I'm Brian Rodriguez, and the party's at my place this evening. But first, summer school, believe it or not, is still in session. So let's chat about your homework. This was your assignment, and I would like to see the results. So lots of folks have been asking me, hey, is this the last week of summer school? Are we going to become sophomores? Give me one more week, people. I like the summer. I don't want the summer to end. Just give me another week. That's all I ask for. <laughs> so your homework, did you do it for last week? Which was to watch One Crazy Summer and listen to our awesome episode. It was a ton of fun. Our guest was first-timer Christian Larson. We had a blast. John Cusack movie. John Cusack still blocks us on Twitter, but whatever. We had a good time. Hope you listened to it. Did you do all your other homework? Like, I don't know, liking us on Facebook, following us on Twitter, following us on Instagram, commenting, sharing, doing all that jazz. Remember, class participation is an important part of your grade. Also, did you do the things that help Slumber Party the most? You know, the easy things. I'm not asking you for money. This is public school. All I'm asking is for you to hit that subscribe button, whether it be on iTunes or Apple Podcasts, as it's called now, whether it be on Google Play, whether it be on Stitcher, whether it be on Spotify. Remember, also, give us that five-star rating. Leave us a pleasant and happy and awesome review. And of course, tell a friend. Tell a friend about all the awesome things happening on High School Slumber Party, which you can always find, too, on cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me. Speaking of cageclub.me, the founder, the godfather, if you will, and I mean that in the highest of fraternity ways, Joey Lewandowski is our guest this week. So I hope you did your homework on 
our film today, Never Going Back. Whoa, whoa, whoa! I don't care that this is technically summer school. The bell does not dismiss you. I dismiss you. We have a couple more things to talk about. Not too many today, I promise. Um, let's see. Let me go through my notes. Oh, I just want to thank all the overseas listeners we've been getting, specifically in our old standby Australia and in Ireland. So thank you, Irish people. Thank you, Australian people. But thank you, people of the entire world. I hate saying overseas just because I am based in New York City. That doesn't matter. This is the world's podcast. High School Slumber Party belongs to the world. Wow, I sound like a jackass, but it's true. (laughs) Anyway, I want you to stick around for the end of the episode. I've been thinking a lot about something. I'm thinking a lot about something. I'm thinking a lot about something that's been bothering me, trying to avoid it. But I'd like to address the future of a very high school film franchise, something that we were excited about on the show. The Spider-Man franchise, the Tom Holland Spider-Man franchise. A lot of big news when it comes to that. A lot of things that were hurting me. And at the end of this episode, I want to just, I don't know, clear the air, tell you my thoughts, and move on from there. But I won't keep you here any longer. I feel like I've kept you long enough. You're probably hot and sweaty from that summer day. Unless you're in the Southern Hemisphere, I said this is the world's podcast, then you might be cold and chilly from that late winter day. I don't know. Or maybe you just live in a zone where that doesn't happen. I'm not 100% sure. But whatever. Thanks for listening anyway. But I'm going to leave you with a song off the Never Going Back soundtrack called Explode by Sarah Jaffe. So pack your favorite jammies. Tell your mother you're sleeping over Brian's. Because we're about to get our party on. Class dismissed. Joey, have you ever pooped in a bucket? That's how we're starting this podcast? <laughs> I like that off off camera, off mic. You were like, how should I start this? <laughs> this question. I'm going to say no, I have not. So are you just saying that or are you being honest? Uh, Both. It can be both because <laughs> it is both. <laughs> in all seriousness, how's your summer been, Mr. Godfather? I don't think we've had you here since the yearbook special the superlatives oh that's right isn't it and that was right after book smart that's probably like 15 or 20 episodes ago it's been it's been a little while it has but but you're back you're here so how's your summer been it's been good i am not you know i, I think i said this on kyle's podcast too i was on foodie films 
uh, two days ago, as this episode comes out, I am making the rounds of the Hoff Rose podcasts, and I said to him, like, I don't really care about summer, I know that's sort of blasphemous, but, like, especially now that I, now that we're adults and we work, it's just very hot. I do better in the fall, I like football, I like the weather better, I like open window weather, that's where I want to be, and we're getting ever closer. You know, these last couple of days have been beautiful, beautiful, having open window weather, and I'm just, I'm, I'm here for it. Oh, I know, I definitely agree with that, plus, Fallsman. The new school year begins, and you listeners out there might become sophomores. I'm not sure yet. I hope you don't go through a sophomore <laughs> slump. <laughs> oh no, I hope not. <laughs> but before we uh, before we dive in any further, Joe, you you've been around the block tons of times. You're you, even though no one's a senior yet, except Mike Manzi, I guess technically, you're kind of a senior in terms of your knowledge of the High School Slumber Party intro. So why don't you introduce yourself to the High School Slumber Party faithful who doesn't already know you? Joey Lewandowski, 100 and Central Regional High School Class of 2006. Go Red Devils. Go Red Devils. So, you know, obviously you've been on before. We've talked about your high school experience or lack thereof. <laughs> but do you have any memories from your summers in high school, perhaps? That's a very good question. Do I, do I, do I? Did I work? Hmm... My freshman year, I worked at a grocery store, but that basically, I worked from, like, September through July and then quit. So that would have been between freshman and sophomore year. And then, I want to say between junior and senior year, I worked at an ice cream store called Maggie Moo's, which was a chain, which was delicious. Oh, yeah. I feel like I've been to a Maggie Moo's. I think they probably still exist. Like, I thought it was the only one because I didn't know, but then it was just sort of a chain that wasn't... It was Cold Stone. Their claim to fame was that it was Cold Stone before, they were, before Cold Stone. Like, it was the, the table with the mix-ins and everything like that. And they say, at least the manager and, you know, her 17-year-old son, who was our manager, uh, <laughs> that they did that Cold Stone took it from them. Not them specifically, but from Maggie Moose. Who knows if that's true or not. All I know is that Cold Stone was more popular. But they were delicious... I worked there one summer. I remember playing a lot of poker. I was actually just talking to somebody recently when I was down, uh, this past weekend I was down the shore for a bar trek, a biking from bar to bar, drinking at bars. And I was talking to a, a guy that I had not met before, his friend who was in from England for the bar trek, and we were talking about poker. And we were sort of, I was reminiscing about my high school days and playing a lot of poker with friends both during the school year and during the summer. You just reminded me of that. Wasn't, like, you know, you and I went to high school, obviously, similar times, but wasn't there, like, a big poker moment when we were in high school? Yes. So, o two o three, I think, o two o three o four, when ESPN really started showing the World Series of Poker and it became, like, a million-dollar event, there were a couple years where, like, literally poker's on the TV all the time. You can still go to bars and stuff and poker's on TV all the time, but it, nobody cares anymore, I don't think. I think it's just a legacy thing. But yeah, back then there was, you know, I cared about the World Series of Poker. I would try to find it on, like, I never paid for the pay-per-view to watch it live, but <laughs> I would try to watch it online if I could, the, you know, live. And I would definitely watch the condensed versions on, on TV. And I even bought on DVD once the, I think the 2003 World Series of Poker, I think the year that Chris Moneymaker, great name, won the World Series of Poker. But like, I don't know I don't know why I bought it, because, like, it's not, it doesn't really have rewatch value. You know what I mean? Like, it's, no, it doesn't. You know who wins. So, I don't know. Chris Moneymaker feels like someone who would have a podcast on our network. Like, the name, not the actual person. I hope so. I wish that. That would be great. Reminds me of a quick high school story. Um, still my friend today, but back then, our friend Rosen, who... I don't know. He was the kid we were all friends with, but... 
people used to, some people didn't like him. I liked him. He's my friend. Regardless, he read a book on poker. Okay. And whenever he'd play poker with the guys, the book told him, like, if you didn't get a hand you liked, you know, you just called right away. Or, you know, knocked, whatever it's called. Where you just fold the cards. Okay. I don't know what So it's that's called. not calling and that's not knocking. That's just called folding. Okay, fold. <laughs> you, so you fold right away. Yes. I never played poker. I just watched. Clearly. <laughs> not that I've never played it, but, well, I certainly haven't played in a while. So he would fold literally 99% of the time. To the point where just he was so hated for playing poker that just I don't think anyone will play poker with him again. It, where maybe that's like a logical strategy, but it's still well, no, not it's not like... because if you don't fold a hand, then everybody else should fold. Like, and the only way that you would do that is if you bluff enough times that you're like, oh, I have a good hand, I'm playing here, and then you know you don't. But I feel like if you're folding every time until you have good cards, if anybody doesn't have good cards, why would they stay? You know what I mean? You're gonna just slowly. <laughs> All that's going to do is you're going to slowly wind your chip stack down. You're going to get, you're going to knock yourself out just by being too passive. I mean, fair. I remember just having like Rosen, come on, like you know. After a while, but Damn that's it, my Rosen. one high school poker memory. This film has nothing to do with poker, but whatever. Now we know that you were a great student in high school from previous episodes of because course. you got a scholarship to Ramapo College. A little different from the people in this film mm. as they are. High school dropouts. And before we get into, like, why, a couple of reasons why I decided to do this film, um, I, I wrote this note down as soon as the beginning credits started rolling for this film. I might call you Mr. A24. Oh, yeah, for sure, 100%. <laughs> you are a fanboy of this studio, oh, yeah. Mr. Joey Lewandowski. <laughs> A24 and Annapurna is strongly and firmly in my wheelhouse. Absolutely, and watching this film, and we kind of discussed it a little off-air, too, I'm like, this is a Joey film. And i got to be honest, right off the bat, I didn't know how I felt about this film at the beginning. Okay. At the beginning, while you were watching it, or at the beginning, after you, as, as soon as you finished it? No, 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 as I was watching okay. it. Okay. I was like, where is this going? Yep. What's going to happen? But I have to say, like, I did two watchings, and the second one was just kind of for, like, note-taking. Yep. But the first one I had to cut in half because, you know, time constraints, as sure. you know, doing a podcast yourself. And that second half, I was so much more enthralled that I ended up really enjoying this film. And then on the second watch, I enjoyed it the whole time. I guess I just didn't know where it was going or what the expectations were. But I think it's a film that, while it's good on the first watch, it definitely gets better if you watch it multiple times. So uh, when I originally suggested, hey, you want to be on this one? I wasn't even sure if you'd seen it. And you're like, I love that film. Oh, when was the first time you saw this film? And if I haven't said it yet, it's never going back. 2018. When was the first time you saw it? So... Every December, I go through like a massive movie binge where I try to watch as many new things from the year as I possibly can to see like what to give an accurate reflection of my favorite year, favorite movies of the year to a list that no one sees. That maybe twenty, it's like basically the podcast of lists, right? Like which is like it's for a very <laughs> few people that care, and then that's it. But I like last year. I think I watched. I could probably find out really quickly something like seventy movies in December, maybe more. Hold on. Wow. Let me find out. Give me one second. You can chop all this out. Give me one second. 2018, 12. So last December... Oh, no, I'm, I'm so sorry. I watched 80 movies in December last December. 80 movies. Mm -hmm. Incredible. And uh, 
a lot of them were good. A lot of them were bad. Like sometimes they're like they're, I watched I watched a lot of movies because when you're watching eighty and thirty one days, and there were certain days like I think I basically started this kind of like a week into December, so it was really more like eighty and like twenty four, twenty five days. Um, you can't only watch things that make you concentrate. Like you have to watch things like I cut in like Death Wish and I watched like bad stuff where I was just like I kind of want to just I'm just curious, right? Like I just want to see <laughs> what it is. Did I miss something? I probably not, but maybe. And so as I'm watching, as I'm watching, as I'm watching, I'm reading list after list after list and I'm trying to sort of schedule and so this is the mind inside the mind of a maniac. I will give you my hint. Here's how to watch eight movies in a day, okay? Divide the day into 2-hour chunks. So you have like 10 a.m. to noon, noon to 2, 2 to 4, 4 to 6, blah, blah, blah. So you have to 12, 2, 4, 6, 8, 10, 12, and 2. So there's like eight blocks there. And then whatever you do, just watch a movie in each of those blocks. So as I'm watching eight movies in a day, I'm looking for, number one, short movies, which this is. Number two, fun movies, the things I don't have to really, really super think about. Uh, and just things that I might like. And so I saw this, I think, maybe on one year-end best of list. Maybe not. I knew it was A24. It was on Amazon Prime. I was like, yeah, sure, I'll give it a shot. And holy shit, as soon as I watched it, I was like, this is amazing. I love this. I texted Mr. Mike Manzi, the resident historian of the network, and I was like, you need to watch this movie. I think he watched it either that night or the next day. This was before. I don't know if you've poured one out on this on the show before. Uh, have you poured one out for his snapped streak? No, I haven't discussed that with him yet or at all. So, Mr. Mike Manzi who has been on this show many times, had watched a movie a day for something like three and a half years. And just recently, like in the last month or so, he that streak snapped. So he no longer is doing a movie a day. And that was a new movie a day, I think, for a while. And then I think he just sort of got to just a movie a day, maybe. But this was back when he was still on that grind. And I was like, you need to watch this movie. And he watched it and he loved it too. And it's just, it's wonderful. Like, I don't know, you know, there's a lot of things in here that are not necessarily my speed, specifically the, like, the question that you opened up with, like this movie ends in a very gross <laughs> and physical humor kind of way that like I just find in other movies repulsive, and in this movie it filled me with absolute delight, and I can't fully explain why. But I think it was mostly my December Super Binge that was on Prime, that it was maybe on a best of year list, it was short, and it was A24, and I was like, I'll give it a shot, oh my god, I love this. I mean, that's a fair statement, and uh, we got a little bit into the mind of Joey Lewandowski yeah. there. We got a little bit into the method into the madness. It's a wonder you're still single, especially in December. Oh, because... oh yeah. I mean, <laughs> whew, ladies. <laughs> but, I mean, people uh, are just like, I, I don't know how you do it, but, like, if you find, like, there's, you know, there's, a, you basically, when you want to watch eight a day, you can't watch two-hour movies. You can't watch two-and-a-half-hour movies. You have to find either, like, horror movies generally or comedies, or like in the small independent movies, because they're generally shorter. Get these, bang, 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 and you still have downtime. I still, you know, I went out and picked up lunch. I went out and picked up uh, iced coffee to give me a little bit of boost. You can still do that kind of stuff. You just have to be selective in what you're watching, and you too can watch eight movies in a day and eighty in a month. <laughs> um, what's interesting too, like you mentioned, shortness. This might be the shortest movie or close to it that I've ever done in high school slumber party. I think summer school teachers was shorter, but it's close. 
which is interesting, because this is an hour 20-something. Yep, like an hour 26, I want to say, and that's including the credits. I think you're not... You're, I don't think you're going to find many shorter than this unless you start doing sort of more... Like the movie you did with Alex, the... Uh, yeah, Summer School Teachers. Yeah, like there's like, you know, the schlocky stuff where like they're literally getting to 80 minutes so they can release it as a feature. You know what I mean? Like it's, <laughs> it, it, under that, like it wouldn't get some kind of funding or something, right? So... Oh, man. So... I mean, another thing that I was like, okay, it doesn't shock me that Joey likes this film because there is a connection with some previous films of course. that we've we've done on this podcast. One of them being um, this director's name. Her name is Augustine Frizzell, I believe it's pronounced. I don't know. I'm not sure. I think she does a great job. Yeah. But she, right now, she's getting a lot of buzz in the press because she directed the pilot of Euphoria. Oh, okay, okay. Which, of course, was directed by the same person as Assassination Nation, a film you brought to my attention, and the Slumber's attention on this podcast. Yes, those were two fines, quote-unquote fines of mine last December that I was like, oh, no, these are... Like, they both wound up in my top ten for the year. You know, like, I was just like, these are... Um, like, I love these movies. Yeah, so, I mean, clearly they're in the, a similar wheelhouse. Obviously, one is much more... Um, I don't. I don't know how to say it, but... This film is, is a lot more micro than that film, even though they both take place in a town. Mm-hmm. This is literally a story of, like, two women here, and that film is, like, almost a story of a town. But regardless, I mean, I thought it was interesting how those films uh, connected there. So, if anything, the slumberers are learning what makes you... Well, tick is a wrong word. I guess what makes you go. Like, I, you like a lot of different films, yeah. but... Like, what's really going to win you over, especially at the end of the year? So I think the big thing, the thing that unites a lot of the movies, is stories that I haven't seen before. And I think that a lot of what unites the movies, especially that I've covered on this podcast, especially specifically the recent ones, Edge of Seventeen, Assassination Nation, this movie, Booksmart, they're all about high school girls. Like, I feel like we've had so many movies about high school boys and just guys in general and I know that, you know, Kara and Jordan over on Whistle Thinking talk about that a lot, like how, how tired they are of just seeing, you know, those kind of stories written by men, told by men, starring men. And I don't feel like I'm not as against those necessarily as they are, but I do really, I really love seeing stories and points of view that we haven't seen. And I think that until very recently, that high school girl experience had not really been captured in a way that these few movies that we've talked about you and I here have done. Oh, I absolutely agree. And not to tap the genres, you know, uh, pat it on the back, but now that, like, the floodgates are opened, I'm not sure what opened them. But even in the past, this might be the genre with the most, like, women directors of any genre and the most women filmmakers in general. Like, I've noticed that by doing this podcast, and again, it's not, nothing like that I did or anything. Congratulations, but... Brian. <laughs> <laughs> but but I noticed that, and that's going to foreshadow something that we're going to do in this podcast for our spooky Halloween weeks. Ooh. But again, if you guys did not see Never Going Back and you did not do your homework, which I'm sure you did, because again, Joe, you mentioned it. It's on Amazon Prime. Yep. It's easy. And if you don't have Prime, you know someone who has Prime. So take their password and watch it. <laughs> And but it's order uh, yourself some sweet, sweet socks while you're at it. <laughs> Indeed. So here's the back of the DVD for Never Going Back. And it's Go In, not Go Ing. You know, just like fresh 
you know, kids language, I guess. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) You sound so cool. (laughs) I am very cool. Never Going Back is a fresh and funny look at female friendship following, well, there's a lot of Fs, following Angela and Jesse, who dream of escaping their waitressing jobs at a low-rent Texas diner, even if it's only to Galveston. Taking place over just a few days, the film follows their hilarious and unpredictable misadventures on the streets of suburban Dallas as they attempt increasingly madcap and wild schemes to raise some cash. Pretty simple, and this is a pretty, you know, simple premise. Joey, you lived in Texas for a moment of your life. I sure did. Do the Texas diners, like, waitresses really wear that uniform? Because I feel like I've only seen this in Texas movies. And New Jersey's the diner state, but I don't think our waitresses wear that, like, brown diner uniform. You know what I'm saying? Well, so here's the thing. And that's not the question I thought you were going to ask about Texas. I thought you were going to ask about Galveston, <laughs> and I have not been to Galveston. But what I have heard is that Galveston is, in fact, a shithole. I'm so sorry, Galveston. There's like a desert was beach my... over there that is apparently filled with like glass. Like it's just like a terrible beach. Um, that was my next question. So second hand for coworkers down there. I don't. I do not know. <laughs> I, I don't want to. I, you know. I don't want to be like a certain person on the network. Audio drop. And I'm Kyle Reinfried. And I'm Kyle Reinfried. Uh, just you know, <laughs> blasting a city without really, you know, without repercussion. I've just heard Galveston is not necessarily the nicest place. Anyway. Well, I was I was gonna ask that because like, it feels like almost like a Texas in joke here that like Galveston, you know, so. Yeah, it, does, right. it is Question weird. Like, answered. I don't know if this movie takes place in Austin or just somewhere outside. You know, some. Just, it says outside it, Dallas. Okay. The DVD. So that makes sense. Um, so the thing with diners in Texas is that there's not a ton. Like you said, New Jersey's the diner state. There's not a ton of diners in Austin. Generally speaking, there's so many good restaurants in Austin. You're probably not going to go to a diner anyway. Like, I feel like diner is sort of the catch-all. And in Austin, like, whatever you kind of want to eat, you can go to one of those. Sort of like New York City, right? There's diners in New York, but you don't really go to a diner necessarily in New York. Because if you want, you know, uh, a Reuben or you want a whatever, you can go to a Jewish deli. You can go to whatever. You know what I mean? Like, you can have whatever you want, like in New Jersey or wherever. Foodie film. Yeah. And this is actually kind of a foodie film, too. Um, Yeah. Which I was thinking. So that said, there was only, like, really one diner that I went to. It was called the Nighthawk, which was a cooler name than it actually the diner was. Uh, the waitress, we just sat at the bar, like the counter, and the waitress was just like a an older woman, you know, like a, a career waitress. And no, I don't think that she wore that wait, that outfit. But I also, you know, she wasn't a high school girl uh, trying to, you know, trying to make her way through not high school. So I don't know. It's really funny. We've done a couple Texas teen films on this show. And I mean, I can't recount all of them off the top of my head, but two I remember is Dumplin'. And whip it, and whip it, and both of them look like worked in a restaurant and kind of wore uniforms like this. So I was just very curious. <laughs> and then you answered my Galveston question already. So I guess Galveston, by reputation at least, is not the nicest beach, and it is a shithole. But it's it's fun that they want to go there, you know. Yeah. I mean, I think it adds to it to see the dolphins. Yes. <laughs> so I mentioned her before, the the director, writer, filmmaker here, Augustine Frizzell. I hope I'm saying her last name right. It's F R I Z Z E L L. How would you say that? Frizzell. Friz Frizzell, not Frizzle, right? Like Magic School Bus Miss Frizzle. No. So she wrote this film and made this film a sort of an autobiography. Oh, okay. Now. It, this was one of the most interesting aspects of the of the behind the scenes that I could find. 
is that she actually made this film, and I've been trying to find the title, and I can't, as a short film before this. And whatever, it got recognized. And they're like, hey, here's some money, make a movie. And when that happens with most people, they just make a different movie, you know? She decided to make almost the same movie, a little bit longer. She added scenes, but with a completely different cast, and obviously, like, with more money, better cameras, all that jazz. I think it's called Minor Setback. Yes, Minor Setback. Two teen girls scheme their way out of work to spend a day at the beach. Things don't go as planned. Named Angela and Jesse, yeah. Okay, thank you for finding that, because I saw it before and I couldn't find it again. I'm going to show you a photo from that film, and you're going to be like, oh my god. You probably are seeing it if you're looking it up now. And you're going to be like, wow, that looks just like this film. I'm looking to see if it's on YouTube, and there's a couple things where she's talking about the movie. It's it's like an 11-minute short. Um, Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. You see, like, they're two girls, they're different girls, but... It's yeah. clearly similar things happen there, because I'm not saying it's shot by, shot for shot, but they're very similar, you know? So it was just an expanded idea from that film, which, again, I found really interesting, because I think most filmmakers just pivot to a new project, because they've like kind of been there, done that. And she's like, no, I felt like this story was important to tell, and I wanted to tell it. And it was based on her, uh, things that happened to her when she was a teen, now, her teen experience wasn't like The Breakfast Club. It wasn't like Booksmart. And this is something I think we might have mentioned a little bit on Booksmart. But most high school films, as again, certainly we've seen in this podcast, are about, at the very least, middle class, but a lot of times upper middle class to upper class high school kids. And she felt that that was not indicative of her growing up in high school. And again, this film's about high school dropouts, but... Just being being that age and having to just scrape by barely. And yeah, I was like, you know what? You're right. There are not too many films about being a high schooler and being poor. It's always about going to the party at the rich kid's house or cheerleaders. You know what I'm saying? Yes. This is, I mean, you and I had talked about before, like, you mentioned that you wanted to record Never Going Back. I was like, I love that movie. I want to be on the episode. And I was like, I just want to let you know, like, this is not really about high school girl. Like, this is about high school age girls, but it's not about high school girls. Although the actresses are like 23, 24, something like that. Um, but I'm like, this is not quite, doesn't exactly fit in with your thing because they do, there's like one line in here where they wake up at seven to go to work and you know, Angela says, I don't want to go to school today. And Jesse says, good news, you quit school, we have to work all day. And she's like, that sounds terrible too, or whatever. And this is not the, you know, security net to fall back on. This is not the, you know, you're still able to go to the nice party. This is, you're living in a dumpy apartment with your asshole brother and his, like, dumb friend, right? And just struggling to get by. And it's a different perspective and a different experience than, you know, most movies that I've seen and also most movies you've covered. And also, I think it's also important that it's not depressing, right? Like, it's, there's stuff here where they struggle, but it's not like, you know, a Harmony Corinne movie like Gummo, where it's like, oh, these people are poor and there's no way out of it. Like this, like things sort of, fortune smiles on them, as we'll get to in the end, but, you know, they, they get out of it. Yeah, and then, exactly, and then I realized, well, 
there's no like high school scenes and they're not technically in high school it's still a very important story to tell of teenagers they talk about being 17 a lot and i always say like you know most people graduate high school so most people can relate to this podcast but not everybody Mm -hmm. and this is a good uh story of it and they don't specifically talk about how they like it whether they flunked out or they just stopped going but like it almost doesn't matter like they've just kind of going on in their lives but there's still characters that would be in high school just in a different situation um so i read an article in the magazine indiewire or obviously online where this filmmaker talked a lot about this film and i just wanted to like pull this quote from it because i thought it was pretty awesome it, pretty much summing up why she made the film and uh she said my film isn't some trendy answer to the lack of female representation as it's been called, nor is it an attempt at gender-swapping the classic teen boy or stoner comedy. This is me making a movie that I wanted to see, because it represented me and my own teen experience, and I'd never seen that before. They say to write what you know, and so I did. I sincerely hope this opens the door, even a little, for others to do the same. Yeah? Yeah, and I thought, like... You know, that that's good, and that's what made me like this film a lot. It didn't feel like over, I don't know, like over-preachy, or as she said, like over-gender swap. Let's see what the ladies do with this. It just felt very real, you know what I'm saying? I actually, you know, I never knew that this was about her life, and I want to watch it again knowing that it's a personal story. I mean, I'm sure it's amped up for comedic effect. I'm sure that the, the main beats of this, or some of the main beats of this at least, happened as they happened, but... I'm interested to see that because I think you can, we've definitely seen movies on here that feel personal, but this somehow both feels personal and kind of doesn't, right? Like it feels like this wacky kind of comedy, but also the fact that it is very specific and like this real, true, genuine relationship between these two girls, it feels like it comes from a place that she knows. Yeah, no, I definitely agree with that. And again, I read that after seeing it too, and I was like, oh, that's interesting. So just want to go over the cast quickly, and not too many known names here, so I'm just going to say that uh, Maya Mitchell mm-hmm. is Angela. Yep. And w- which one is Angela, just to clarify? Angela is the brunette. Okay, that's what I thought. And she's actually an Australian. We see a lot of Australians in American teen films. Um, I didn't really, I wasn't familiar with her at all, but uh, I looked and saw her like IMDb, and she was in the Disney film Teen Beach Movie. Oh. As the co-star with Ross Lynch, who we know on this podcast played Jeffrey Dahmer in My Friend Dahmer. Ooh. So I thought, I thought that was interesting. Creepy. <laughs> and Jesse was played by Camilla Marone. I think, I think often she goes by Cammie, I think. Is it? Okay. Mm-hmm. Cammie, Camilla, whatever. We'll say Cammie Marone. And I didn't recognize her in too many other things either, but you mentioned the new Death Wish, which apparently she was in. Right, which is, so after I saw this movie last December and I was like, oh my god, I love this movie, I love these two actresses, I want to see everything that they've done, I watched another movie that Maya was in, which was this movie called Hot Summer Nights, which is okay. with Timothy Chalamet and Micah Monroe, and that was not great, and she's got a small part in that. That's fine, it's not great, but it's it's okay. She was in that, and then I watched Death Wish because of Cammy, and she's barely in it. Like, the spoilers, I guess, for Death Wish, but like very early in the movie, burglars come in, I think, kill Bruce Willis's wife and like put his daughter in a coma, and she's a daughter in a coma. So she's in the movie for like 15 minutes, gets put into a coma, and then you know comes out of it at the end. But I was like, uh, gotcha. I'll, I'll watch this movie now to see her in it, 
oh, wait, she's not really in the movie. She's also in this film called Mickey and the Bear, which I wanted to see. I think it came out this year. Um, I'll report on it when I see it. But uh, it's safe to say that I was not too familiar with her. And the only other person that I recognize, and I recognize this guy the most, was Kyle Mooney. Of course. He plays Brandon, one of the roommates. And he's on Saturday Night Live, and he's on a bunch of other stuff. And I, I don't want to say it was jarring seeing him, because he's not nearly an A-list actor. But I was like, oh, that's someone I recognize, and I guess I didn't expect that. But yeah, and everyone else here is either a first-timer or even an only-timer. So Kyle Mooney, specifically, importantly, is in one of my favorite movies of the last five years, The Star. I think he wrote it. Uh, I don't think he directed it, but I think he created it, wrote it, starred in it, Brigsby Bear, which is incredible. It's wonderful. Oh, yeah, yeah. I haven't seen that film. I didn't realize he wrote that film. Mm-hmm. Huh. He co-wrote it with Kevin Costello. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, cool, yeah. No, I mean, I've always liked him, so it was cool to see him here. So I guess, you know, we got all the formalities out of the way. Let's talk about some moments in here, some of your favorite scenes. It opens up with a penis on the face, so if Mm -hmm. you want to begin there or anywhere else. Jesse, get up. Mm. You have to get up now because I have something really, really awesome to show you. Did you draw a dick on my face? (laughs) Let's do it. I mean, right again, at the beginning. We kind of know what we're getting here. Lots of drugs at the beginning, you know? Yep. Like, lots of... <laughs> I think it does a really great job of characterizing them both as characters, as their relationship with each other, as they exist within the world. I think that as they're getting ready for work, you see them, just like, you know, these girls who joke around with each other, draw dicks on each other's faces, you know, flash your brother's camera, or flash your brother's laptop to take a picture. You know what I mean? Like, it's just, like, goofy things, and then they do a bump of cocaine. You're like, oh, okay, I see what's happening here. And then (laughs) they go outside, and their neighbor just hates them. Like, they feel like they're just the, you know not white trash people of the neighborhood, but there's the people who are 16, 17 years old, don't care about mowing their lawn, and this woman next door who doesn't seem nice, but also is just like, I don't want to live next to what could be, for all I know, a crack den, uh, take care of your house, right? And I think it's pretty clear that she calls the cops on them later. When do all kids need to mow that lawn? Maybe you need to mow your lawn. The city's going to come down on you. Wait, the city's going to come on us? So I like that in maybe three or four minutes, we see that they love each other, that they are both you know, sort of cheerful, upbeat people. We don't really have a sense of how old they are at that time, but they seem very young, that they have to go to work, and that they're doing coke, and they're just, you know, goofing around. Like, it's just, it's exactly what the movie is. It's who these people are, their relationship. It's it's great, I think. Yeah, no, and it, it sets the tone well, you know. I know I wasn't sure, like, what was going to happen, but it wasn't, like, a tone question. It was more, where is this leading to? You know, I wasn't sure if this was going to be the beginning of a long road trip film. I knew nothing about this film, you know. Yeah. I like just getting to know the characters. The brother and those, like, pink-tinted sunglasses. Oh, my God. Like So that, when you were saying before that you watched this movie twice, when I watched this movie for the second time, which was, I think, three days after I watched it for the first time, because I watched it December 28th when I was, when I was looking up my binge thing. I watched it again on New Year's Eve because so I was like, I want to just make sure that I love this as much as I think I do, and yes, I do. Uh, <laughs> every time I watch it again, the brother and the friends play so much better. Like, the first time I was like, I don't know really how they fit. I don't know that this is necessarily great. They're not as funny as the girls, all this different stuff. And then, 
going at it a second time, they're also like earnest and genuine and also just stupid as hell. And I love all of them. I love Kyle Mooney. I love the brother. I love the the friend who's like just like this, you know, rapper, white kid rapper who like has been taking hip hop lessons since he was six years old. <laughs> just so desperately wants to fit in. I love the like at once sort of stereotypical but also the opposite of that black friend who like robs them but loves the movie Beaches. Like I don't like there's <laughs> such a weird hyper specific characterization of all these people that I just adore. And I think the more you watch this, or at least just the second time, they all play better. They all feel like they belong in this world as opposed to just like I want more of the girls because that's what's driving this movie forward. But they they're just like a welcome distraction, I think. Yeah, no, I definitely agree with that. Uh I got a real kick out of them. Like this beach beaches and like the other cinephile moment is hashtag Keanu Club. Oh, of course. We get a little uh, point break action here. Um, I <laughs> thought that was fun. No, man, he's like two bites and goes on a chase. You didn't see, never seen Point Break before? Like, just, just <laughs> I love that it's just in this world that it's so, like, that these characters love Point Break that, like, he knows it. I don't, I don't know. It's just, it's just goofy and I love it. <laughs> yeah, no. And again, the inciting incident here is, I mean, they're talking about, like, I guess the brother has been in the drug game in the past. It seems unsuccessfully, talk- but yes. <laughs> and they're they're talking about getting back into it, and is it just the next morning? I mean, the deal must have gone bad that night or something, because the next morning the friend and what seems to be either like his little brother or little cousin try to rob them, but yep. only the girls are home. <laughs> I thought it was hilarious because he's getting his like again some little friend or relative as him to like do some of the dirty work for him as well. Uh, you know, I, I thought that was a really funny moment. And again, you mentioned that's when they were like, they get up and you see that they like ha- basically sleep on the same bed. Yeah. And it was just like, you know, time to go to school. And it's like, oh, guess what? We quit the diner. Sorry. We quit school to work at the diner. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I love how, again, they know who's robbing them and yet they still call the cops. <laughs> you know? Well, I don't think they call the cops. Oh, okay. They want to. I think they're, I think the neighbor calls you the cops the on them because they're being so loud and just like, any excuse, right? But like they, they 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 threaten to call the cops, but I don't think they do because I think we hear the siren outside. And I don't think there's enough time. Like I think the neighbor probably called like one that she heard like the banging outside. I'm guessing. Regardless, when the cops come over, I just love Heather. You know they're screwed. <laughs> you know? Oh yeah. We saw already so many drugs in the house, but they're not really acting like it. You know what I'm saying? Like because they're just kind of like. They're trying to explain the crime without ratting anyone out. Well, yeah, it's like, so somebody, all four of you know, robbed you. Does this have anything to do with drug money? They're like, no, 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 sir. Like, they know exactly (laughs) what happened, and they're trying to, you're right, like, they're trying to play it off. But, yeah, no, it's, uh, it's very clear what it is, and they're not worried, and then as soon as he's like, well, you don't mind if I have to take a look around, and they can find, like, their big glass plate. Then, you know, they go to the flashback, and they're doing basically, like, what looks like cocaine races, and just, like, you know, doing lines, and then just, like, falling in love with each other. Like, it's this really weird, tender, sweet, like, not sexualized moment, right? Like, it's just this... No. These two girls, like, bonding while they're high as hell. Yeah, no, and there's a couple key flashbacks here. Yeah, so Angela has a big uh, gift that she used her rent money for, which is hilarious. Um which is that trip to Galveston. And, you know, in order to pay for the trip to Galveston, or not really, I guess in order to pay for their rent. Yeah, she uses the rent money to buy the trip. 
Yes. So in order to pay for her rent, she's booked the both of them for basically double shifts the rest of the week. Yep. So it'll even out if they work every shift for the rest of the week. And again, you can already tell from moment one that this is going to be a problem because they don't seem like responsible girls. We'll put it that way. They're 17. I don't blame them, but you know what I'm saying. I would like to give them the benefit of the doubt that for like a short-term goal they could have knuckled down. But <laughs> when they get to work and the boss is like, I need to cut one of your shifts tomorrow. I know that you need to make rent or whatever, but I need to cut the one. You're like, oh, this is going to like go downhill fast. And then obviously one thing leads to another, and then they miss two days of work. Yes. Um, and there, you know, there's that other coworker who they clearly don't like. And she wants to shift. But uh, when the cops come over, they do indeed get arrested. I like what they're wearing when they get arrested, because yeah. it's totally, I don't know, not going outside appropriate. <laughs> and they spend, well, I guess the, at the beginning it's just like a holding cell, and then they get put into different cells. Because there's that like moment where they're going to bed in different cells. But and they're, they're holding like, hands. Yeah, they're holding hands. There's a lot of like friend like really close friendship in this film. Yeah, and I feel like that's the reason why I like this as much as I do, because you really genuinely don't see that kind of friendship on screen too much, right? Like between two girls, like it's it's kinda of, it's a, something that we noticed during Charlize the, the the Watch of Throne podcast that I did with Mike was that when Charlize is the star of a movie, it's rare that there's another woman in the movie. Like generally it's her and then a male lead, which kind of makes sense, right? And then if there's a third person, it's usually another dude. Like, when we were trying to do our best and worst, like, the awards for Charlize, we were like, we were really struggling to come up with a movie where another woman had, like, a big enough part to be sort of recognized. Like, there's Monster, where it's her and Christina Ricci, but, like, there's not that many of those. Like, I think, generally speaking, unfortunately, in Hollywood, when you tell a story about one woman, they're like, oh, cool, we hit our quota, let's, you know, just fill it with dudes, right? So... It's rare to see that, and then it's even rarer, I think, to see it done well, and this genuine friendship here that we see in prison, even when they can't really be in the same room, like, when they get out of prison, like, she's like, I missed you, dude, like, they were literally next door, or, like, they were next to each other, probably talked to each other the entire two days they were in there, <laughs> but the fact that they couldn't be, like, together in the same bed, just as friends, it's like, oh, like, they are so close. And just on that note, you know what I noticed, because we saw it in Booksmart, and we do see it in a lot of films, they're clearly close friends, but... Often in these uh, women friendships, and guy friendships, frankly, in these, like, films, we see, like, one who's more of, like, the bully friend, and I don't feel like we got that here that much, and we didn't see, like, a huge, huge friend blow up either, which I thought was kind of refreshing. No Malala moment. Yeah, no Malala moment. <laughs> exactly. I think they both kind of go back and forth a little bit. Like, I think when they're in the grocery store and they're talking to what we finally later know is the sandwich shop owner, like, we have Angela just, like, really defending Jesse. I feel like if there's a dynamic, you know, she's only four months older, but she's kind of the mama cub because she defends her. Like, the, the sandwich shop guy calls Jesse a whore for wearing, like, I guess a tank top and shorts. She's like, dude, it's a thousand degrees. Like, she's not really, like, she's not, you know, what they wore to prison was much more revealing than what they're wearing there, right? <laughs> oh, but yeah, absolutely. It's not terrible, like, even by, like, today's standards especially, right? Like, she's just wearing clothes. The guy gives her shit for it. And Angela lets out this, like, like long line of expletives that is just, it's wonderful. And I feel like she's protective there. And then at the party, when they go there to sort of wash their clothes, and I know I'm jumping all over the place, you know, Jesse keeps trying to 
drink or smoke or do coke or whatever. And Angela's like, no, you got to be good. And I feel like there's not really the bully or there's not really this. The, the, the dynamic when it has to be is kind of like mama and baby, even though they're basically the same age. Yeah, and it's very soft. It's not, there's no like hidden resentment, it feels like, which again, we see so often. This seems like just a very pure friendship. I know we don't know this, but wouldn't you just assume that they made the decision to quit high school together? Oh, yeah, I think. Probably for sure. Like, that's almost a guarantee. And we don't, there's no clues in this at all about that. But I think anyone would just assume that was the case. Um, so one of the big beats about the prison situation is that Jessie hasn't pooped the entire time she's been there. No, you want to know a stupid? Not be able to use a goddamn bathroom for two days because you're in fucking jail. Hey, you didn't go yet? No, I told you I couldn't. I thought you went last night. There's no privacy in that place. You know that. Dude, that's not healthy. Which is funnier than it sounds. It sounds <laughs> gross and like not at all something I would like, but again, it works. It works because you could almost get it, too. There really is no privacy there. And you don't think that you're going to be there that long. So I kind of get it. And you just, you know, let's just like to rock on this beat a little bit. When they get home, their water is shut off. And it's just not a great situation there, too. And it becomes this underlying thing that, again, like you said, yeah, it's really gross, but it doesn't feel like gross-out humor for some weird reason. It more feels like tension-building in a funny way. Funny tension-building. Well, you know that's the kind of thing, like, it's sort of, in a way, like Chekhov's loaded intestines, right? Like, you know that at some point it's going to happen. And (laughs) there really couldn't be a better way that the gun goes off, as it were, than how oh, it man. ultimately happens. And I don't want to, I don't want to spoil it because I feel like that's very literally the end of the movie. But you know that like when she doesn't go there and then she's like one problem after another, like she can't go in the bed, like she can't go in the restaurant and then she they don't have toilet paper, the water's not at home, and this and this and this, and she's like, it's been too long. Like it's gonna something's gonna happen. Like the movie's not gonna end without that being resolved. And you just have to wonder, like you hope that they're gonna land that plane and they they do in a wonderful, wonderful way. <laughs> oh, man, no. And again, like I said, this to me, this movie, like, slowly built to something that I was very satisfied with, surprisingly. Um, I do want to mention, though, that, like, obviously they've missed work from being in prison, and they're thinking of what kind of ideas they should say to their boss for, like, the reason that they missed work, like, no called, no showed. And they do all those flashbacks. And I loved this stuff. First it was, I think it was, like, the car accident that they faked where they just basically, like, hit each other, right? Like, with a brick. It looks like like a heavy (laughs) box. Yeah. (laughs) Which, I mean, the lens they would go. And then it was, like, the chicken pox thing where, what was it, like, they were trying to get bit by mosquitoes? I guess there's some kind of bug, and then, you know, Angela has none on her body, and Jessie's just covered to the point where, like, her <laughs> eyes are crossed, like, she's in so much pain. <laughs> and then the third one was uh, that they got a stomach flu, just, but it was just, like, The drinking. gallon challenge, yeah. Yeah, the gallon challenge, and just throwing up milk in front of their boss. Which, again, if you haven't seen this film and we're talking about it, sounds gross, and trust me, it is, but it's... I don't know, like, you're you're right, it's not played like it's the super super gross out film it's i don't it just fits into this world as weird as it is (laughs) um and then like you said they have to do their laundry they go to that party which and you know you kind of already talked about how they're just like avoiding doing drugs and what do they they accidentally do drugs right 
Yeah, they accidentally eat edibles. Like, they find yes. they're just starving, and they, they look through the entire fridge. There's nothing. They go to the mini-fridge. They find cookies. Do not eat. Gram, or grandma, do not eat. They each... Like, Jesse eats two, and Angela eats one, but they apparently are wildly strong because after they take a bus to work, they walk off, like, stoned as hell. I love that uh, that just shot of them walking out of the bus. Because you, you think... Because they're like, oh, do you, are you feeling anything? And like, they're, no, I, I don't. And then they get on the bus, they're fine. And then we cut, and like the, the lighting changes. Like it's night now, it's supposed to be afternoon. But they are just done. Like they are just toasted. Yeah, and I often don't like in films where they use drugs as like just kind of like too much of a funny gag or where it seems out of place. But again, they set the tone from, from day one here. So I wasn't too... Uh, like turned off by it and it made sense because <laughs> they went to work their boss really likes them you can tell he really likes them he says he really likes them but he has to fire them because they're just like high out of their minds when they try to get their job back what i love though what might be my favorite moment of the entire movie is when they get inside after they're chewed out by the girl that they hate and that, that hates them they see pancakes mm, and yeah. a love Foodie ballad films. starts playing and it is just the funniest. Like yeah. I still, I still laugh out loud thinking about that. And it's just like, how do I live without you? And then they go into the yeah. kitchen. Oh, perfect. And they see that the short order cooks, you know, flipping more pancakes, the music comes in again. Like, it's sort of, it's like in eighth grade, right? Wherever she sees that boy, like, there's that music that comes in. Like, but it's like that for pancakes. It's like, this is what they want more than anything else in the world. They just need these pancakes. And they're so close, but they're not going to get them. Got me hungry, to tell you that much. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it was perfect. <laughs> like, I hate to say it, but, like, not much happens in this movie. It's not a bad thing. It's just one of these, like, slow kind of burning things that happens over a couple of days and I love it. I mean like what what's your next memorable moment? In the movie, let's see here. I love beaches, which we talked about. Yes. <laughs> um, oh actually before we get away from the pancakes, I forgot I wrote this down that I have a story. It's not about when I was in high school, but there was one time I was coming back from the city with a friend and I don't remember where we were coming from, but we were like I think we had seen a comedy show at the Bell House. And we were trying to find a restaurant nearby. We we're like we don't really want to spend like I don't know, 25 bucks a person, when we just, like, could really just, uh, or 30 bucks, you know what I mean? Like, just New York prices. All we want is, like, just, like, you know, eggs at a diner or something, right? So I was like, let's just drive back, you know, we'll be there in 45 minutes, we'll go to a diner. We go to a diner, we walk in, and there are, it's not prom kids, because in this movie there's prom kids. Like, they look around, and I thought it was sort of poignant in a way that, like, this is what they could have been, right? Like, if they had stayed in school... They're having that night where, like, everybody is just, you know, not only do they look, you know, in their their tuxes and their dresses, but they're eating pancakes. Like, everything they want or they could have been, this is that night, right? And they're just, it's just, it's a bummer, man. But anyway, my friend and I get to a diner, and there are probably 40 or 50 kids just, like, hanging there. And it's, like, very clearly, like, the musical at some local high school had just, like, had their, like, either as, like, a dress <laughs> rehearsal. Like, they, they were all, like, theater kids. Like, they were all, like, you know, men, you know, boys and girls, like, all just very flamboyant and over the top. And my friend and I were just like, oh, God. And we sat down, and the waitress comes up, and, like, she just looks, like, exhausted. She's just like, oh, like, without saying anything, we're like, oh, we know exactly. It's like, it's just, this has been a night. Because it's, you know, I'm assuming not to judge all kids, not all kids, but that they're probably not tipping well. They're probably demanding and just, you know, being goofy with their friends and stuff. And 
you know, like we heard on My Five Dads, right? Like the diner stories, just terrible, terrible stories. Um, <laughs> but it just, I rem- it reminded me of like just seeing 40, like as many prom kids, like just theater kids finishing their meals and trying to leave together. It's like, oh boy, this is, this is a nightmare. Oh yeah. I mean, and I'm glad you brought that up because not that it reminded me of something specific, but it reminded me of another film moment. I don't okay. think it's a high school film, but one of like my favorite films growing up was The Warriors. Not sure if you've seen it. Just kind of a dystopian gang mm-hmm. story. But when they're basically almost done with fighting all the bad guys and they're on the way home, the main character and like I guess the main girl in the film are just looking beat up and scary as hell. And they, a couple of kids coming from their prom, like, walk into the subway. And it's just, like, the very 70s, like, prom tuxedos and stuff. And they're laughing. They're having a good time. I think they sit down. They stare at the two of them, uh, the two, like, you know, gang people. Yeah. And they just kind of either leave the car or walk to, like, a, the other side of the train. I can't exactly remember. But it's that same moment where it's, like hey, these are young people, this is what they're doing, this is what you're doing. You're very similar, but you've gone two vastly different paths. Sure. And it's so brief, right? It's not like something where it's like shaming either side. I'm talking about uh, back to never going back. It's not like shaming either side. It's just like a, a weird little juxtaposition that I, that I really, really love. You know, you often say that, like, you know, just about everybody graduates high school, everybody has these relatable experiences, but, like, to be honest, like, school's not for everybody, you know what I mean? Like, not that they're going to live these glamorous lives, but it feels like if they were in school, they would be miserable. Like, even though they're not living the best life, it feels like the fact that they're together, and especially when they turn 18 in a year or whatever, the world's going to open up to them. And not saying that you should drop out of high school, or you shouldn't go to college or whatever, but school's not necessarily for everyone, right? So I think that the movie does a good job of, like you're saying, not shaming them because they're not, you know, they don't have the best life, but they, they have a life that sort of works for them, right? Like they're dealing with a lot of bullshit from like their idiot brother, but that's, you know, they're kind of living their own path and it's it's working for them. And they have a relationship with each other that, you know, education or not, I think most people would be jealous of, that's for sure. Like, that's one of the closest on-screen relationships I've ever seen. And I guess I got to credit not just the writing here and the directing, but the chemistry between the two actors. And like, wow, you know? Oh, yeah, for sure. They're great together. And that's why I was sort of so bummed when, you know, I couldn't find another movie or something that, like, I had, that I liked them in as much, because I think just a lot of what I like about them in this movie is the fact that they're together, right? Like, it's the them together is sort of better than them apart. Apparently this director just got like a, a big movie deal to direct something. Okay. Um, it's an adaptation. Of, I can't remember what it is, and I wasn't familiar with the piece. And I hope she like remembers uh, these two actors and is like includes them somehow, because I, I, I'd like to see them in other things like you, because I think they did an excellent job. Um, so any other moments after this? Because the next one I can remember is just when they get the idea to rob, um, what's his name? Kyle Mooney. Yeah, Kyle Mooney. I don't remember his character name. Brandon. Oh, yeah, of course. The Brananna. Yeah, the Brananna. <laughs> How could I forget? You know, they've lost their their chance at rent money. The brother also doesn't have rent money, so it's pretty, pretty positive this apartment's not going to go anywhere, except for Brandon, who... 
another foodie films kind of thing, has a job at a what looks to be kind of a crappy fast food place. Yeah, like a sandwich place, like a like yeah. a not like a it's sort of I guess sort of subway is short sort of, but uh, it's called like Big Dicks, not Big Dicks, it's something like that. Like it's, <laughs> it's like a vaguely sexual. Yeah. Big sandwich shop. Um, And he's, you know, he, earlier in the film, kind of, like, teases the girls a little bit about something. I I mean, I kind of like him because (laughs) he might be the most put-together character in this film, despite him not being put together at all by a lot of standards. But, I mean, he has a job. He presumably is going to have the money for his rent, unlike all his other roommates. So, I mean, I, I think he did a great job here. But they get this plan to essentially, they're not going to like rob him at gunpoint. They're just going to try to convince him to like empty the register to them. And that'll be able to like pay their rent unless they'll be able to go to Galveston. But their brother and his cronies kind of devise a plan as well to where you know, b- borrow his sister's pantyhose and actually rob Kyle Mooney at gunpoint at this uh, fast food place. And it's happening at the same time. And it's like a slight tension in this film that I'm loving because you know it's going to come together and you're curious how it's going to come together. And when the girls get there, they're like basically teasing him because they know he's into them of like how they can get this cash. I, I don't know what the funniest part of this is. The fact that they both, like both groups... <laughs> to figure out how to get cash. So, like, okay, taking a step back, burglary is kind of a theme in this movie, even though, you know, the brother's friend says, I've never, you're the first person I robbed. Sorry about that again. You know, again, I'm sorry about that. And he's just like, oh, no, not a problem. But then, again, I think maybe because that seed was planted, they're both like, we're going to rob our other roommate so that we don't get kicked out of the apartment that he's living in, right? Like, it just, how do we get money? Let's rob our friend. Because it worked so well the first time. <laughs> and not that either plan is good, but at least the girl's plan is a little bit better. Like, the guy's plan is just like, let's put on pantyhose, let's wear masks, let's wear pantyhose, and we can't talk because he's going to recognize our voices. And even though he can see their faces, like, it just, he doesn't, he doesn't get it. Meanwhile, the girls are like, we're going to promise that we will sleep with him, not do it, but then say that you can't because if not, if like if you don't do it, you help us rob them too, and also we're going to kick out of the apartment. Like they're like it's to them, it's a foolproof plan. It probably would never happen like that, but their plan is at least a little bit better than just let's go in there and rob them with a fake gun. But then when things go like the the one of the funniest parts of the movie is them rob <laughs> is them robbing Kyle Mooney, and they have the note which just says phone. He's like, I don't know why you want the phone. Like, it's kind of an old phone, but here you go. Like, we don't want, the, like, basically, no, and he points to the money. He's like, he just takes, like, $8 out of his pocket. He's like, oh, here, oh, of course you're not robbing me. You're robbing the store. But, like, it's just, like, everything he's doing, he's just the dumbest person. And he's such a sweet dodo, and I love it. Yeah, because he's, he's well-intentioned in this, like, almost not well-intentioned world. Mind you, the entire scene you're describing, he has an erection for, because the yes. girls have, like, been kind of, like I said, teasing him to kind of get it well yeah to, is... to seal the deal in that moment before they take a ride that's the supposed the, the metaphorical ride on the banana they're going to flash <laughs> it, um or at least one of them right like they're going to like this is a we, we pro- like this is our down payment essentially like you we will let you see our boobs if you give us the money and so just the I, the prospect of that gets him hard and so he's dealing with this <laughs> these bumbling criminals or wannabe criminals with an erection <laughs> and you know he's like fantasized about the girls because he's mentioned like oh I've heard you making out in your bedroom 
Like, you know, why didn't you just do that here? And, you know, it doesn't feel, like, gross. He just feels like a, kind of a loser, if that makes sense. He's you just know? in over his head. Like, he's just an idiot. <laughs> yeah. No, again, I, I think he did a great job here. Especially, I mean, he, him being the veteran, but the rest being relatively unknowns. I think everyone just kind of plays their their role so well. Especially in this scene. <laughs> and then... What ends up happening is, like, obviously the girls know it's the brother uh, and his crony friends, and they kind of discover it. And <laughs> I love how he's, like, almost hurt by it, Kyle Mooney. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, why would you do that to me? Kind of like. <laughs> and then the nice, like, added cherry on top is that the, the third friend comes, and he's just like, hey, guys, everything uh, going good in here? It seemed like, seemed like things were not going that well. And then he's like, all right, everybody out. <laughs> And then the girls stay, and then the boss shows up, and he has oh them hide God, yeah. in the broom closet. And you mentioned it before. The boss, like, earlier yelled at one of the girls at the store. So, like, they know this is, like, not a nice dude. And and it was especially interesting that he was, like, kind of slut-shaming her, and then he makes some, I don't want to call them slut moves, but kind of, when uh, Kyle Mooney's, like, forced to leave, and they're stuck in the broom closet he pretty much whips his dick out he's taking and... a dick thing it's it's a, what's his he puts yeah. his dick in the sandwich which i guess you know <laughs> the big dick sandwich shop or whatever it's called it's about that and he's got like this mistress on the side yeah and he you know he's sending her photos and they don't know what to do and this is when the the bowel movement finally strikes for jesse yes when tension gets real and uh just she can't hold it anymore and it it comes out and then you know angela's like i can't be in here anymore and she tries to get out and then the guy comes to the door and then as he opens the door she vomits all over him from the stench and then jesse comes out vomits all over him he falls to the ground hits his head and it's just i can't imagine what that all it just must smell like death in that sandwich shop it was so gross but they're juxtapositioning this scene with the song Mandy by Barry Manilow, which yeah. we've heard before or talked about on this podcast for Can't Hardly Wait. So, uh, you know, another shout out to Barry Manilow, I guess. And it's not about his, his his dog, I believe. That's what it said in Can't Hardly Wait. I love that that song's playing and there's really no audio because the no audio kind of softens the extremely oh, yeah. gross thing that's happening. And it makes it such like a poetic zenith of this film. You know, all that tension literally building inside Jesse's stomach finally, like, again, almost literally explodes to the point where, as you said, like the, the mean owner guy passes out out and which i think is great they realize the keys there and i thought i'm i was watching this, I'm like, mm, this is going to be the plot hole they're just going to take the money and leave but the whole like thing of discovering his phone and realizing that it's not his wife and leaving the note kind of as blackmail covered those tracks as i figured well one i was like why doesn't this restaurant have a camera but whatever regardless of that I was going to be like, they're obviously going to know that it's friends or associates of uh, Kyle Mooney here because, you know, who let them in and who left them there? And, like, that's where they would look. But he's presumably not going to pursue that because of their blackmail note. And there's, like, other pictures in there. It seems to be, like, him and the mistress or whoever mm-hmm. it is are sending, like, naughty food pictures to each other. <laughs> fuh, 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 fuh. Foodie films. 
This really is a foodie film. It now is. that I talk about it more, and <laughs> I gotta mention. I like that they, they ask each other how illegal is blackmail. I don't know, like medium, I think. And they just decide <laughs> we're gonna blackmail them, take all the money, and then they get to go see the Dolphies, and they're in new bathing suits, and they're just yeah, again, sort of a silent scene with music. Like the whole movie has great music, like great you know, hip hop and everything. Like just. You know it's an A24 movie, and like I love this, when there's a scene where just they're riding to the party, and the, the three of them, the two girls and this guy that picked them up, are just rapping for like 90 seconds. Like, it's just them rapping yeah. to a song. Like, it's just, that's just, a, that's a movie now. Like, it feels real and authentic in a way that other movies kind of don't. Not to, not to say that, like, every movie needs that, but when that happens, when it feels right, like, it's great. And again, just like you were saying, you know, with the the Mandy scene, like the fact that it closes on the silent, like it just instead of you know cheapening the moment with whatever dialogue they would have, you just see that their joy and they're eating donuts and they're on the beach and they they you know they didn't get there the way that they thought they were going to get there, but they they won. And again, I loved how this ended because I really thought that it was just going to end with them taking the money and we just assume that they go to Galveston or something like that. But I think, again, they decide to go to California or wherever they go. It's some beautiful beach. They're in those bikinis. <laughs> the original reason they discussed to Kyle Mooney for like robbing him was that they wanted to buy bikinis and he, he only had $50 in the register and the real money was actually in the safe that he didn't have the key for. So it was good that the owner came. But I just loved how it ended. And, you know, movies, the beginning and ending is super important, especially for tone. And while this is largely a comedy, it ends on such a high positive, and I dare I say, like, motivating note, that I was just so satisfied at the end of this film. Yeah, no, it's a great ending. Like, it's, it's the ending that feels earned and feels genuine and feels like it's what the characters wanted, and they didn't have to take a shitty vacation because they couldn't afford it, like... If, you know, I think that they're going to blow through that money quickly. They're going to go back to their lives, live another year in relative squalor, maybe face legal repercussions. Who knows? But for that week or however long they're out there, they're free. They made it. Yeah, and that's all that really matters there. Such a nice moment. Very A24 in definitely a good way. Yeah. But such a nice moment. Any other uh, moments or things that we didn't talk about that you wanted to mention of a film, again, that you really liked? Let me take a look here. Um, I like when Ryan, the the the, the hip hop class taking best friend, gets to become a best friend when they're about to rob. He just like because all movie long, you know, the brother and the guy that they were that that robs them in the beginning, right? They were just like they're best friends and they 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 have handshakes and everything. And Ryan finally gets to do the handshake in the car, and he's just so overjoyed, like this like very minor gesture. He's like, oh, I'm I mean I'm finally part of it now. Like I love that. Yeah. <laughs> Again, and in the car, I, I going to the robbery. I just like how nervous they are. It, it's so real, even though they're robbing their friend. You know, they're all like psyching themselves up, either like by what they're gonna say or just like intimidating things. Like it just, it's wonderful. I also do want to go back to the robbery in the beginning of the movie, where they're coming to get the five hundred dollars worth of stuff, right? And he he first takes the painting off the wall, and Angela's like, "Dude, I painted like you don't take somebody's painting, like I painted this." And then he goes to take the big TV, and she says no. 
Then they take the the what they're using like this old CRT TV that they're just using as a TV stand. He's like, oh, we got a big <laughs> ass TV. Like, look at this hall. Like, we got this such a like worth probably like you know a TV that big. You'd probably pay someone to get rid of. You know, like there's no value to it. But they're just so dumb that they're like, oh, look at this big ass TV. Like, this is great. And then you know, Beach is like, I just love that scene. Again, like I you know as like the girls are obviously the star of this movie, but the guys like they're just it's they're so good. No, they they play like big, dumb, like uh, often idiot set pieces to what's going on, and they just do it so well. Like, I again, I really want to see what this director does next because she's clearly like a great director of talent. And I, I mean, have you been watching uh, Euphoria? I have not watched the finale because I was away when it aired, and I sort of been saving it because I love that show so much. And, you know, after watching Assassination Nation and talking about it with you and knowing that he was going to do a TV series, I was like, oh, I'm going to love this. And I do. I love just about everything about it. I think it's wonderful. Uh, it might be my favorite show of the year. I don't know. But I've, I've been wow. saving the finale because I just sort of want to – I don't know when the time is right. Like, I feel like I probably have missed that window. But I, you know, I, I cannot wait. I think it was renewed for season two. Like, I can't wait for it to come back. Like, it's so good. Like, across the board, it feels so real. And, yeah, no, so I totally see this director succeeding um, there, and I'm really, I was really happy to read that. I'm like, oh, okay, that makes so much sense. Gotcha. I mean, I guess she just directed the pilot, yep. like, officially, but I know she was, again, heavily involved with the rest of the series. It seems like Sam Levinson just directed most of the rest of them. Um, but it, it, there seems to be, like, a cool little moment here happening with... I don't know, the A24 universe, which I know makes the Joey Lewandowski's of the world happy, happy. Of course, of course. All right, so if there's nothing else to say with never going back, let's uh, let's rate the film. Just FYI, I know you don't care about this, but 76% audience score on Rotten Tomatoes, 66% critics. Okay. Which, you know, decent scores, good scores. I'm not surprising. I can see how this film could be polarizing to people. Um, but what are you rating it? And again, we're rating on the A plus to F sure. or F minus scale these days. I love this movie. I think objectively it's not as good as some of the other movies that I've talked about on here. I was sort of struggling with my rating for this. I'm going to give this one a B plus. Okay. I think that of what we've talked about, I think obviously The Last Picture Show is sort of leaps and bounds above. That's sort of in its sort of a class of its own. That's a super senior in terms of stature and also just age. But I think Assassination Nation and Edge of Seventeen are both better than this uh, in both what they're trying to do. But this is just, it's so specific and, like you were saying, small and pure, and it's wonderful. And I think, you know, B plus, A minus, but I feel I would feel better without going too heavily. I don't want to break the curve, so I'll go B plus. B plus, that's fair. I'm giving this one a solid B, and I think that's, I could even go higher to a B plus. It's just a film that. I really enjoyed, and I'm noticing, I forgot what film I said this about recently, but I'm noticing that as I go further and further into this podcast, mm -hmm. that I guess I'm becoming more of a teen-slash-high-school film snob, where, yeah, I like the classics, yeah, I like the good stuff, but I also crave films that are in the genre, but that are different. And that's what this film did for me. Yeah. I think it was a good film that showed a different side of teenagers. 
while they graduated in this film, I thought Ghost World was another film that showed like two young people trying to be independent in a very different way, of yes. course. But just two young people trying to be independent away from parents. It wasn't just all about the parties. And trust me, I love my good high school party film. I'm not saying that. But I just, you know, there's something about this that I think the director put it best. Well, she wasn't trying to do it, maybe, but it was just a different voice then. Uh, and just different characters and different happenings than what I'm used to on this podcast. So I really enjoyed it, and I highly recommend it to anyone, especially people who are big fans of this show in particular, because if you're big fans of the show, you're big fans of high school movies, so hopefully you've watched a lot of these. And this one is going to be different, and this one's going to be fun. You know what I'm saying? And I don't want to... This is not necessarily me bragging about myself, but if you want more <laughs> movies like this, just ask me, because I feel like... Like I was saying earlier, like I like this kind of movie. I will champion this kind of movie because it's not like the other things. Because this isn't necessarily as quote-unquote good or whatever as other movies that came out last year, but I will watch this more because it feels pure and true to itself and unique and special. And we just had Gwyn Watkins on Too Fast, Too Forever this week, and she was talking about just sort of as a film critic, you sort of see a lot of movies... And the more you see, the more everything sort of starts to feel the same or starts to feel like you've seen it before. And something like the first Fast and Furious movie feels different because it's about car culture in a way that she hadn't really seen in other movies. And I know that's sort of specific to that, but I think the more you watch, and I'm sure Mike is the same way, you know, and again, with you in this podcast, like the more you watch within this quote-unquote genre, the more sort of you're going to be harsher on things that are good but not great and that are good but not special. And I think when you find a movie like this or like, you know, again, just Assassination Nation or whatever, that falls within the trappings of what you're covering but doesn't adhere to all of the same things that every other movie you're talking about does, it's going to stand out even more because you've seen now 70 movies that are for, you know, I know there's differences, but like kind of the same movie, right? They're all about that experience of being 15, 18 or whatever, right? And so the things that stand out are going to be the ones that are that are, do something different or special. So I'm, I'm here for you, Brian. I'm here for you. Well, you know, you have a pretty good streak on this podcast. So, you know, you haven't been in anything that we've been like, eh, definitely appreciate it. I think the slumberers appreciate it as well. Speaking of slumberers, it's going to be a weird one. But what sleeping bag you bring to the slumber party today, Joey? So there is a, there is a part of this movie that I have not talked about because I was saving for this very moment Mm. one other thing that I love about this movie just a little detail that is just I don't know why it's in the movie other than just they're they're cheap drinks but as I'm sure you may know Joe 2 and I we love our Corona for the Fast and Furious for the family right (laughs) but there's another beverage that Joe and I love and I don't know if you know this but Mike Manzi knows this Joe and I love an Arizona iced tea Mm, and specifically the Arnold Palmer light you know the 99 cent the giant can there was a great skit on Atlanta, the TV show Atlanta, in the first season on the episode BAN, which I think stood for, like, Black Area Network, something like <laughs> that, or Black Atlanta Network or something. Anyway, it was a show, it was an episode about Paperboy on, like, a public access or sort of like a Charlie Rose's show or whatever before we canceled Charlie Rose, and there were commercials in between, like, in the episode there were commercials. And there was a commercial for Arizona Iced Tea, and the guy brings up the can, and, you know, Arizona does not market. But Arizona's thing is that the can says 99 cents. And just the price is the can. Like, you know, it's it's 99 cents, whatever. I found a lot of places to sell it for under 99 cents, which is wonderful. But wow. in this sketch, guy brings it up to the cashier, rings it up, it's $1.49. And the, the shopper goes, 
the price on the can, though. And the, the cashier's like, you're right, the price in the can, though. And then they just stare at each other, and then it just says, Arizona, the price on the can. And so <laughs> in this movie, it has nothing to do with the story, but the brother and the friends are all drinking, especially and not for, not the white kid, not the, the doofy, you know, hip-hop dance because he's drinking his, like, artisanal juice or whatever, but they're just drinking the Arnold Palmers, or they're, they're drinking the Arizonas, like, drinking, like, the mango, and they're doing all this different, like, I love the weird sort of, like, it, it drew me in even more, so my sleeping bag, long story short, my sleeping bag is one that's just the Arizona Arnold Palmer light can on a sleeping bag, which is genuinely a sleeping bag I would buy in real life. <laughs> I believe it. That is a cool sleeping bag. I what know about it's, you? Uh, are you? Are you? What are you? What are you rocking here? I don't pick sleeping bags in every episode. I don't know. This is a tough. But one. I want you to pick one here. Dolphies. I'm gonna have one with dolphies. Mm, I don't know. I might do. I might just do a beach scene. Maybe I'll do a beaches sleeping beaches. Bag. <laughs> I think I'll do that. Who knows? <laughs> so, this is a new segment. I don't think you've been on for this I segment. I not. Yet. No, I gave you a name that you rejected. You soundly rejected. I forgot what you, the name you even gave me. Yeah, I forget too. Like, buy one, get one free or something? No, that wasn't it. Something like that, though. But I want it to be more of a rental thing. So, I, I've been rent just one, get it, like, one free? Yeah, like rent two movies, get oh, one Oh, no, free. I was calling it Friday Night Double Feature. Yeah, and where well, that's a good title, I, I wanted more of the rent situation sure sure, sure like yeah, yeah you're in blockbuster and you're like uh you know i'm gonna have a cup a couple free moments this weekend i might as well do this rent two movies get one free deal so because you're such a purveyor of movies because you've seen 80 films in one month i'm gonna let you pick two other movies oh for boy rent to get okay one free today so i had three written down because i was going to talk my way out of two because i was gonna because <laughs> i have one i was gonna pick so the first and the one i will not pick is Assassination Nation. But last year, as I was watching all these movies, there were three movies that I told Joe to, my co-host on Too Fast, Too Forever, who was on this podcast to talk about that Franco Lifetime movie. When you let us have him, we need to have him back, when he's released from his duties. Oh, he is uh, under indentured servitude over there. He is uh, nose to the grindstone right now. We are both fighting our way, clawing our way through the Young Hercules series for for boyfriend material for the Ryan Gosling podcast. <laughs> oh boy. 50 episodes of that. And then the next episode we're doing 44 episodes of another TV show. A lot oh of Gosling God. TV. Oh my God. Anyway. <laughs> oh boy. Yeah, that I just did. I, I was a minute late to the recording of this because I finished my 10th episode of the day because I just, I'm, I need to get through it. Um, Jesus Christ. It is. And every episode is the same. Every, Brian, every episode is the same. <laughs> I don't envy you. Every episode is the same. I mean, I'm playing video games as I'm watching these. Like, it's very passive watching, but still... Every episode is the same. So, last year I told Joe, there's three movies you need to see. Number one, Assassination Nation. He watched it, he loved it. So number two, Never Going Back. He saw it, he loved it. Those two, you've covered on these podcasts, we're we're doing one tonight. We're not going to do Assassination Nation, your slumberers know about that. The third movie, I told him to watch, I don't think he's watched yet. It's not a high school movie, but it's not wildly out of high school either. It's this movie called Like Me, L-I-K-E space hmm. M-E. Uh, it stars Addison Timlin, who I think is wonderful. I don't think she's in enough stuff. I, I also, what I like about her is that she seems to tend to do kind of genre stuff, like weirdo things. And Like Me is one of those for sure. Came out a couple years ago. I think it really actually came out last year. She becomes internet famous for robbing a convenience store and posting a video online. And the movie is just sort of her 
journey through this sort of like this new life for hers. And, you know, through her travels, she encounters a drifter, uh, internet troll, and a pink huffing outsider who are all pulled into her circle of chaos, junk food, and drugs. Hmm. And I don't think it's as good as Assassination Nation or this movie, but I think it's visually stunning. I think Addison Timlin is great in it. And I think it's unlike just about anything that I've seen before. And so that's for sure one of them because it came out also last year. And it's one sort of in the vein of this that I think not as good, but I think it's definitely worth watching. Okay, so then it's never going back. I'm sorry, what's the name of that? Like Me. Like Me? Yeah. And what was your third? So my third, I have not mentioned yet, is one I think is sort of a very easy movie to sort of go from this to. And it's kind of the college version sort of of this, the higher gloss, higher glitz, higher glamour. You gotta go Spring Breakers. Spring Breakers, one of your favorites. Mm, Top five favorite movie of all time. One of Joe's favorite movies. Uh, It is incredible. Um, when when Chris Podcast was on this episode or on the show a couple episodes ago talking about Myth of the East American Sleepover, and you guys had pivoted toward your talk about Josie and the Pussycats, and he was bringing up he's like, what movies other than Josie are marketed toward the demographic that they're satirizing? And he mentioned Fight Club, and he mentioned Spring Breakers, and Spring Breakers is a movie that is ostensibly a Spring Break movie where it's just, you know, attractive girls going wild at spring, uh, you know, at spring break, and then things go bad. But really, it's kind of like a condemnation of that life. And it's, you know, it, it's so good in so many ways. And I can't really articulate why I love it as much as I do. <laughs> but I saw it in theaters, and I loved it. And then, I don't know if I told this story on this podcast. I think I've told it on another podcast. But I left my cousin's wedding. My sister and I left my cousin's wedding pretty early because we couldn't handle it anymore. We're like, we need to get out of here. And we went to see Spring Breakers a second time in theaters. And the girl, like there were just girls behind us who did not get it at all. And we were dying laughing (laughs) because they were like, I thought this was a different movie, but like, it's so, oh God, it's so good. And it's, sort of, you know, they're, they're college girls, and again, there's, you know, they're drawing dicks early, and it just, you know, there's genuine relationships there. It's much more violent and much more stylized than this movie, but again, great soundtrack. James Franco connection. We were talking earlier about Franco. Cannot say enough good things about Spring Breakers. All right. That's a, that sounds like a fun weekend with these films. Never Going Back, Spring Breakers, and Like Me. Yep. Sounds good to me. By the way, is your sister older than you or younger than you? She's three years younger. Three years younger. Yeah, we overlapped in high school and college by one year. Gotcha. Just curious about the demographic. Has she ever been uh, on the Cage Club Podcast Network on an episode? No, and I do not think that she's listened to a single episode either. (laughs) She's like, oh, I listen to podcasts. I was like, cool. She's like, yeah, I listen to My Favorite Murder. I was like, cool, that's not mine. But, you know, (laughs) I get it. I was just curious. I'm like, oh, that's interesting. Because, you you know, I know you're close to your sister. You talk about her a lot in terms of uh, the films you've seen together or recommended. And I was like, you know. I've never seen her listed as a guest, so it's just very It's a curious. separation of church and state, I think. <laughs> that's fair, that's fair. Well, Joey, uh, thanks so much for stopping by. Anything you want to plug? I know you're a busy man this month. Yes, so right now, basically every week there are three shows. Tuesdays is Too Fast, Too Forever. We are winding down lap four. As this episode comes out, our most recent episode, like I said earlier, is Fate of the Furious. Next week, we're going to do The Italian Job, now that it is apparently canon within the Fast and Furious universe. (laughs) And then after that, we're going to do Hobbs and Shaw for the third time with Mr. Mike Manzi. So that's every Tuesday. Every Thursday, I also mentioned, 
Joe and I are doing boyfriend material, the Ryan Gosling podcast. We are burning through the rest of those. The episode that comes out this week, the ones out yesterday, is one of Gosling's worst movies of all time, if not his worst movie. It's called Stay. It is so bad. And it was written by <laughs> David Benioff, who co-created Game of Thrones. Oh, my God. So who could have thunk that people would not be happy with the way that show ended? Um, that's Thursdays. And then Fridays, your favorite thing, every Friday, the Tom Tom Club, Tom Cruise, Tom Hanks. Mike and I go through those filmographies. Very exciting. This week and next, the best of each Tom we've done so far. This week, today, as this comes out, Mission Impossible, wonderful. Wow. Tom Cruise's best movie to date. Next week... Joe versus the Volcano, again wonderful. Tom Hanks' best movie to date. So we are in prime Tom Tom Club mode right now. Every Friday we alternate those. Hanks every two weeks, Cruise every two weeks. Lots of things going on. And like I said, I was on Foodie Films this past Wednesday talking with talking with Kyle about Support the Girls with Haley, Haley Lou Richardson of Edge of Seventeen fame. So. Oh, yeah. And yeah. I will also plug, not this is not a rent to get one free, but I plugged it on that show too. I want to plug it here. If you have not seen the movie Columbus, which came out, I think, two years ago, starring Haley Lee Richardson and John Cho, go see Columbus. Columbus is phenomenal. Absolutely. I agree. And I think we mentioned it on Edge of 17. You were just on Tom Tom oh, recently. Yeah. Last week, you were on our Turner and Hooch episode. Um, and I I don't want to, uh, you know, spoil anything, but I think that I might be back on this very show before too long. Yes, yes. Um, but a quick note on Tom Tom Club. Yes. I have a big fear of mine Okay. that in the Joe versus the Volcano, Tom Hanks, Meg Ryan trilogy, you're going to hate You've Got Mail the most, and I'm going to be very mad at you for it. So we'll see. We'll see when it happens. Well, I know that Shawnee is out there, and I know that if I hate Sleepless in Seattle, she might never listen to another one of our podcasts again. Um, so I'm going to – I'm living in fear of that already, and now I'm going to be living in fear of You've Got Mail. But Meg Ryan is so good goddamn good in Joe vs. the Volcano. Like, Tom Hanks is great, but she is on another level. She is so delightful and she's so charming and she's amazing that if the movies are anything like that, I've never seen either of them, I will love them. Plus, I love rom-coms. I've learned that from from Cage Club. I love rom-com Cage. I love rom-coms. I have high hopes for both of those. We'll see. We will see. Yeah, Meg Ryan, In I hate saying this, especially, you know, about actors, but like, in their prime, you know, because that's not fair. But Meg Ryan, again, in quote-unquote her prime, it's untouchable in romantic comedies. I wonder, you know, I just I just did Julia Roberts, and I watched, you know, four or five Julia Roberts <laughs> movies, and I watched Homecoming. I wonder if I should do... Are there ones that I should see? Like, I haven't seen When Harry Met Sally. That would That's controversial these days, because the whole premise is that... And I know you've debunked it, because you have many female friends but oh a man and a woman can't be friends <laughs> you know and i i do as well i'm not just speaking <laughs> on you but uh, but that's like why it's controversial these days because people used to say that like oh look harry met sally said it a man and a woman can't be friends so it's uh, a yeah. but it's still a good movie i hate people who shit on it like i'll, I'll say that because it's still a good movie and I, I might get shit on for saying that because again there's nothing more controversial than when Harry met Sally these days. But I digress. <laughs> Are you okay? <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Anywho, like you said, I'll mention a little bit after when I talk about homework. And you tease this film, but you'll be on again next week, Joey. Oh, so. it's next week? Okay. Yeah, we, we, won't, uh, we won't have that long of a layoff. We'll put it that way. Okay. 
Cool. Well, thank you so much, Joey, for stopping by, and I'm glad we could talk a little Meg Ryan at the end of this there. But Wait, is, is this the final episode of the summer session? Well, we're going to kind of have an extended summer. Okay, because next, week, next week's movie is a summer movie. Exactly. So that'll be the real end of the summer session. Uh, I didn't want the summer to end, so I wanted to give it one more week. So it's like one of those kids who like who the family takes a vacation at the end of summer and just decides they can start a couple days late. You don't do anything in the first few days of school. It's fine to <laughs> show up four days late. It's like, wait, what are you, who, who are you? <laughs> well, this episode doesn't come out before Labor Day. La- it, this is Labor Day weekend. Yep. So until Labor Day happens, I'm saying it's summer. Okay. <laughs> All right, Joey, thanks so much. Thank you. Yes, yes, yes. Thank you, Joey. Always a pleasure to have the Godfather himself grace us with his presence. And guess what? As I mentioned, he'll be back next week with none other than the other, other wonderful person who first brought the Cage Club podcast network, but also just the show, Cage Club, which focused on all the films of Nicolas Cage, which you can check out at cageclub.me or wherever you get your podcast. But the two originators will be here to talk about a film called The Way, Way Back. Duncan, on a scale of one to ten, what do you think you are? A six. I think you're a three. Since I've been dating your mom, I don't see you putting yourself out there, bud. You can try to get that score up at my beach house this summer. Yes, in all his awkward glory. This is my son, Duncan. I was going to name my youngest Duncan, but we went with Peter. Finally. Fixed his lazy eye, now it's even worse. Boop, boop, mom. Just stare at the bridge of his nose, that's what I do. You're the worst parent. There's a message in the skies and in the streets. Heads up, buddy. You need to wear that. Mom, why do I have to wear this? Nobody else does. Sexier, huh? Something like that. It's like spring break for adults. This is Joan and Kip. I'm the one who's not grinding on you right now. <laughs> Enjoy therapy. Fred, I'm going to have to ask you to leave. You're having way too much fun. It's making everyone uncomfortable. Wow. I'm just kidding. That wasn't even my best stuff. Come on. Just hold there for a sec. This guy's an artist. Watch and learn. And you are holding. Still holding. Just about ready to hold. You think it's over now. I need you to reorder more mats. Did it? Finish the work schedule for next week. Did it? So you know I'm going to check all that stuff, right? Oh, in that case, I didn't do any of that. How do you make more money than I do? That's the one you wait for, my man. It's time. I need somebody to do some odd jobs, clean up some vomit. Definitely. Does your mom know you work here? Who's that big guy? Is this sick girl? What are you doing over here talking to us? Well, maybe, Roddy, if you guys hadn't called me over here. (laughs) Please let your lady friend know that this conversation was entirely about her. Where have you been? Nowhere. It's a long time to be nowhere. Well, that's where I was. Duncan. If we were going to make this work, then there has to be trust. Mom's boyfriend called me a three. Who says that to somebody? That's about him. That's got nothing to do with you. How do you know? Because I know. You gotta go your own way. And you, my friend, are going your own way. This is the only place I'm happy. My doctor said not to get water on my face! got a hell of a kid here. Hold, please. Hold. Hold there. So once again, the Godfather himself, Joey Lewandowski, will be back. And the resident senior 
the assistant teacher, resident historian, Mike Manzi, will also be here. So you definitely want to do your homework for that. Okay, so I said that I would address something, the Spider-Man franchise. Well, if you've been living under a rock, here's what's happening. Marvel slash Disney, who again, we'll call it Disney, who owns Marvel. It's an important part of their biz. You might have heard of a film called Avengers. Well, they had a deal with Sony, who before Disney bought Marvel, owned the rights to the Spider-Man character for film. They had a deal to put the Tom Holland Spider-Man into the MCU, the Marvel Cinematic Universe. We all know this, we've all seen the movies, and we've talked about it here in High School Slumber Party with Homecoming 1 and Homecoming 2. Now, we have a little bit of a problem because their deal was set to expire. Everyone thought they would come to a new deal because the movies have been doing so great. You guys remember the Tobey Maguire ones, which did well, but kind of forgotten. You remember the Andrew Garfield ones, which didn't do so well. These Tom Holland ones, I don't know, they were supposed to be the cornerstone kind of of the MCU. They were supposed to be, well, I think Spider-Man was supposed to maybe lead the MCU at some point. Well, they didn't come to a deal, so it looks like that the Homecoming series, we'll call it, the Tom Holland series, will be going in a completely different direction from the MCU. Which, A, I agree with the internet, I'm really bummed out because, well, that spells the end for the Happy Hogan and Aunt May romance. But even more still, I'm just curious of what the direction of these Spider-Man films are going to be. Now, it might not even be relevant to High School Slumber Party. They might go into a direction that's not high school. But I think a lot of us assumed that we'd get maybe junior year and senior year of Spider-Man. That's what I was looking forward to. So, yeah, I'm really hurt. I'm really disappointed. I want Spider-Man to be in the MCU. But maybe this is an opportunity to go in a cool direction with the character. Maybe the franchise will end up being okay and even being better. While I like all the MCU stuff, I have to admit, sometimes it is a little bit distracting to not get, like, you know, a standalone Spider-Man film. I'm trying to, like, see the silver lining. I like Tony Stark being in the movies, but... Where were they going to go? I don't know. I don't know. Maybe I'm in denial, but... If the third of the franchise is a high school film, we'll cover it here. Well, they'll definitely probably cover it on Third Time's a Charm. Hashtag Mike Nancy again. But I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. I want more high school Spider-Man. So the bottom line is, regardless of who delivers it to us, I hope we get it. Out of web fluid. I don't know. I don't know how to end that segment. <laughs> anyway, hope you enjoyed this episode. I know I did. Why don't you let me know? Why don't you go on that social media? Why don't you go on that Twitter? Why don't you go on that Instagram? Why don't you email me at highschoolslumberparty at gmail.com and let me know what you thought about today's episode of Never Going Back, the Spider-Man franchise, anything and everything under the sun. But now, unfortunately... <sighs> Time to go to bed, time to hit the hay, time to say goodbye. So today, I leave you with, what else? Barry Manilow's Mandy. Happy Labor Day if you're in the States. If not, happy random weekend. Later, dudes.
his eyes Shadows of a man A face through a window Crying in the night The night goes into morning Just another day Happy people pass my way Looking in their eyes I see a memory Go. Oh.